Hey guys, it's Beth. Welcome to Remorselessly Biblical. Kind of a mouthful, huh? Okay, this is the first episode of Remorselessly Biblical, so I think I'm going to take a little bit of time and give you the quick backstory. I wrote a book called Remorseless last year, okay, at the end of 19. It was released March 3rd of this year, so at the very onset of this pandemic. Uh, I've wanted to write a book my entire life. So, you know, that's kind of how life is, right? You're like, I'm going to do this thing. And you think about it and think about it and finally do it. And then a pandemic. Okay. I didn't see that coming. Well, we don't see an awful lot of life coming pretty much every day, especially when we get into like the pits of this crazy journey of life. We just hit these bumps and we're like, I I don't even know anymore. Like, how do I keep going? Well, That's what I care about. Um, I learned over the course of my own journey, 47 years of it, that it's, it's a roller coaster, man. It is like up and down, up and down. And what people say you are or think you should be or try and remind you to do, like, it's just so much noise coming at us all the time that it's hard to tune it out. And it's super hard to make decisions like the right decisions based on what other people are thinking. Right. So I finally said, I got to figure this thing of life, I guess, out, right? So for me, the journey really got messed up when I started to listen to uh, the church, okay? So I um, was, I was Catholic for 30 years of my life. First three decades of my life, I grew up Catholic, went to CCD, didn't go to Catholic school because one wasn't available. Otherwise, I probably would have um, been forced to, asked to, politely driven to the front doors and like take her, get her in there hit the wrists or whatever they do with the knuckles, right? With the rulers. I don't know, like the the nuns and the hobbits or habits or whatever the hell they're called. Also, P.S., you don't go to hell if you say hell, okay? So I didn't go to Catholic school, but I was raised Catholic. And what I heard the entire time I went to church was, you're bad, you're a sinner, you suck, you're not working hard enough, and you're going to just keep going to hell, like repeatedly. I, I didn't know the story about the other side of that, which is like, you matter, and you're loved, and your choices matter, and you should like yourself, love yourself, believe in yourself, value yourself enough to make better choices and to show up in your own story, right? So that's a quick, really quick blurb to get you to this point which is I recorded my first podcast last week, which is called The Remorseless Podcast. And now I also really want to bring to you, okay, don't hang up. Don't hit delete. Don't turn this thing off. When I say what I want to bring to you is scripture. Time out. Hear me. I'm I'm really looking at you. Like teenage girls, early 20 girls, midlife girls who are 80s rock star fans, by the way. Uh, we'll get to the Bon Jovi and uh, White Snake and Def Leppard a bit of this later as we go. Um, and also my mother's generation, right? Women, like I'm looking at us because we <laughs> kind of got the short shrift when it comes to biblical interpretation. So I went back to school, um, I guess I started in my late 20s through my early 30s and I got a couple degrees in theology. Not, th- not that it matters, trust me, but it does and it doesn't. Here, here's why I say that because People in the New Testament called the Pharisees were these people that were like students of scripture. They studied it. They rolled around telling people like, I just told you, yeah, we, we have degrees and in the word, they, they were so smart. They told Jesus what the word was. (laughs) Okay. I'm a big fan of irony and sarcasm. 
P.S. We are made in God's image, which to me means God is like kind of sarcastic. And I'm okay with believing that finally. Not the part where it's like, man, you have to just always be afraid of God. I don't think so. God made us to be with us. That's the story of scripture. And that's what I want to share with you in, in baby steps, in sound bites, in real ways, in um, not the language that you're going to hear in the church because I'm not a fan of the church. And I don't mean that disparagingly because I learned a lot in the church. And what I mean by that is around people. Okay. People are the church. That's what scripture said. Right. That, that's when we get to that part, I'll, I'll show you where it says that, at least how I read it. Also, P.S., it's okay to read scripture differently. If you guys go to a church or have gone to a church or now also are not big fans of the church, because when you were there, they were like force feeding you the way to read the Bible. Okay, well, I'm finally an author. I can tell you when people write words, the people that are reading them with their own eyeballs are not supposed to take them in the same way. So why on earth would any of us ever sit in a church and be told like, you must read it this way? Really? Um, I'm sorry, according to whom? You like, are you happy with your job? Do you like being a priest or a pastor? Or like, are you good here? Because if you're not good, then how do I know what you're saying is actually legit? That you believe it, that you're authentic, that you are believing the words that you read with your own eyeballs. You're trying to tell me that I got to read it that way too. I am the girl that questioned it. And boy, did I get in a lot of trouble. Not only in the church and sometimes at home, not not a ton at home, but um, mostly in church and in CCD and definitely in school and with my friends and whatever, go on with it. Not only did I get in trouble from other people, by other people, I got in trouble with myself because I messed up in a lot of profound ways. I made bad choices because I was like, I'm done with people, done with the church, done with God, done with this Bible, which I didn't read, by the way, till I went to school. Um, I, I read Miss Alette's as a Catholic girl. Like I didn't know the people in scripture actually were alive at one point in time. I'm laughing because it's, I truly didn't know. Like I was the girl too, you guys, that would go to the library on my little yellow huffy in the summers and sit and read. Mostly I wanted to read like stuff I wasn't supposed to read. Big words, stuff about sex, stuff about like risque things. I don't know, Edgar Allan Poe. Um, I wanted to read. I, I wanted with my eyes to go, oh, I can see this. I got it. And I can apply that to my life. Maybe a little more prematurely than my parents would have liked. But I love to read. So it's a little ironic for me that I never knew the Bible was a book. <laughs> like I totally would have picked it up and read the thing. Didn't know. I thought it was this rule book on how to get to hell faster, on ways that would point out to us, like, you're just in trouble. I don't. I don't know why I'm here. This book's supposed to tell me. I can see it that clearly I was a mistake or I'm not supposed to be here because I, one, can't pronounce half the names in this first part of the book. It was just, I didn't read it. I didn't get it. And it's confusing. So I want you to know, I understand. I really understand. And I can now tell you that I understand how much it matters to know better. And and I care. That That's why I'm here. I, I care so much about imparting this information, however you receive it. Okay. I'm not here to tell you this is right because that would be dumb. I don't know that I'm right. I, I feel it for me and I want you to feel it for you. That is literally the whole point. I believe of the story of God. And again, I think God transcends labels. So I'm going to say God, as I teach remorselessly biblical episodes, um, you can say 
honestly, I'm going to get some backlash here. Um, Allah, Buddha, he, she, spiritual being, uh, the creator, father, guide, coach, all. Maya Angelou, one of my favorite humans that ever walked this planet. When Oprah asked her great friend, Maya Angelou, um, how would you describe God? As eloquently as she ever said all things, she said this. Hmm. God is all. Like mic drop for Maya, right? Because she had nothing more to say. And that's true. Because if God is all, all, that kind of sums it up. So for us to say, he is this, he is that, he's this, that, the dualistic thinking you guys will come to learn from me. I hate it. I hate when somebody says this is the right way and this is the wrong way. Cause then what about all this? I got questions. <laughs> what about all this? This then doesn't make sense. If I don't land here and I don't land there, then where am I on this whole broken journey? And like, what do I do? And I don't relate to these people or their way of thinking. And I don't really relate to these people and their way of thinking, which means this church, that church, this label, that label. So if I can't land here, I have come to realize and firmly believe I I don't think God answers to any label. I don't think our human vocabulary can do it justice. This unbelievable, greater power, being, energy, God that lives within us, works in us and through us, um, and wants to hang out with us. Like, that's really the story. If you ever decide to read the Bible, I can help you do it because it's not an easy read. You know, it's not like uh, Junie B. Jones, if you ever read her. I didn't really know I was a feminist until I started reading these books and I was like, oh, I get to my daughter. Um, But I've always been a big fan of the underdog as well and um, the marginalized and people that were kind of like just left out on the side of the road. Like, oh, I'm sorry, you're a Samaritan woman. Oh, I'm sorry. Those people, they're stupid. They're poor. They're this, they're that. Okay. Who, who made us better? Right. Who made us think that? That's a whole different discussion, but I'm trying to get you guys to the point of this whole journey of reading scripture that you can say, oh, I get it. Like, it's not as confusing as I once thought. I am not as uh, big of a loser or a sinner or this person that God made by accident or doesn't care about, or I'm not as confused as I thought, or I'm not. All the things that society constructs, confines, churches, institutions, boxes, labels, claustrophobic nonsense makes us feel. So the way to get there is just to like literally dive in kind of head first. I mean, we can talk about it and we go, let's start at the beginning. In the beginning, there was this and then it was that. And then it was this. Okay. We can do that. Uh, But I wouldn't advise that. I would say, read the Bible, how it speaks to you. Because the crazy thing I've also learned is that that's how God talks to us. People go, you know what? I was one of them that said, this whole thing would be much easier if I could just like go to Starbucks and talk to God across the table. Um, That's why I liked the shack because the shack, if you saw the movie, read the book personified God as female and, and the Holy spirit was wind. I could, and Jesus was like this cool dude to go fishing with and like your friend. Right. So I could get that because I can understand that, but it's hard for us to understand this God, this whole um, sort of woo-woo, right? Out there, can't see him, can't touch him. But that's how God does speak to us. 
which is bringing people into our lives, situations into our lives that resonate with us. So if that happens, and you probably know what's happened, you, you meet a person out of nowhere and you're like, oh, wow, I needed to hear that. Um, I didn't expect to meet this person who taught me this. Or many years later, you can look back in retrospect and say, oh, I get it. Now I'm so grateful and thankful this person entered my life and at that opportune time helped me get through the situation that I didn't even really know I was like floundering in. That's God talking to us, you guys. He uses us okay, on the side of unity as opposed to the side of divisiveness. So, so for me, if that's the case, then dive in. Like read the book, read the Bible, how it speaks to you. And I got news for you. There are so many translations. Um, I learned this when I went to school. I had no idea. Didn't even own one. Had to go to the store, like Christian Berea or whatever, get my punch cards and act like I knew what I was doing. Signed up for the classes. Give me a Bible. I think that's the textbook. Um, but there's a lot. It turns out there's a lot of translations of scripture. And again, I immediately go, well, wait, why are people arguing saying that there's only one way to read it? If there's like six different translations and versions, I mean, more than that even, right? But like to my point, right away, I was already going to probably get kicked out of this whole master's theology program because I'm like, well, what are we supposed to be reading here? Why do we have to agree? I mean, clearly it's, it's written in different formats. It's different, different, it's written different ways. Different people wrote it. Maybe we don't know. Were you there? Like, it's just so many questions. It's okay to ask them. In fact, I implore you to ask the questions. And I also really, really encourage you to just read it. So here's where I'm starting today for no other reason than I read it earlier today um, at work. Um, I was asked to read it out loud and I was like, oh yeah, I haven't read this bit in a bit. (laughs) And I'm like, this is interesting. Good reminder. Here's the cool thing about the Bible, you guys. Every single time you read it, I'm not kidding. Every single time, the same words with your same eyeballs you're going to get something different out of it. It will mean something different to you because of where you are at that point in your life. I read it now at age 47 in a very different way than I did when I was like 30 in the middle, later in the middle of the divorce, right? Oh, don't get me started on the stuff I read then. Second divorce, by the way. I was like thumbing through, seeing if like Liz Taylor was one of the scriptural people. People, She's not. Like one of the books was named after somebody who had been divorced more, more times than I had. Um, so just read what speaks to you. And today I read Daniel and Daniel, basically you guys might know the story. Um, Daniel and the lion's den. Here's another thing I'm going to teach you about scripture. Um, that's maybe controversial, kind of my middle name. Uh, some of these things in the book might be metaphorical. Okay. Might not be literal. So I don't really know if there was like an actual lion's den filled with actual lions. I mean, like, I don't know. I wasn't there. Um, could go either way. Don't think that's the point. There are things in the 66 books of the Bible that may or may not be literal. Okay. So get your mind around that right now. If you were brought up in a church that said, this is absolutely the way there was a literal garden of Eden with literal cherubs and winged angels or whatever guard Like that's literal. Okay. Also might not have been, we don't know. I mean, you can't find it today. You can take a, a guess on a map if you're like a cartographer, I guess, but it doesn't, it doesn't matter. And I'm saying that legitimately because I want to encourage you that, not encourage you, share with you. Religion, in my opinion, ruins the relationship. Let me say it again. Religion ruins relationship. 
because religion is a construct. Religion is like somebody came up with this thing. They're like, yeah, that sounds good. Let's, let's go with that. And there's like a vote probably by a bunch of like white dudes at the time. I don't even know. Somebody sat down. Um, I don't think women were invited to the table back then. It's just a educated guess. So like a bunch of guys, right. Decided that this is the way it's going to be. And we're going to call it a religion. And then we're going to be good with that. And then everybody shall be part of our religion. Okay. Well, no, <laughs> and still no. So religion, in my opinion, ruins relationships. Meaning what we're going to read here, read it from the lens of relationship only. That's what I want you guys to focus on. If you can't pronounce a name, I don't care. Make one up. Bob, Bill, Mary, Joe, doesn't matter. Insert a name. Okay. If you don't know where the places are talking about, we don't need to know for now. We don't need to know. We need to know that right now we're talking about some dude named Daniel. I'm going to read it to you. And I'm reading from the message translation message, which was written by a guy named Eugene Peterson. And the message is like the most um, sort of straightaway version. Like it's just straight up. It's just going to tell you in plain words. Um, I often will use the message when I'm teaching new believers, people that have never read scripture before, because it makes just a lot of like reading sense. Um, also just because I like it. Uh, it's not the only one I read. When you get into it, you can say, okay, this is the King James. I like that because I think it'd be kind of sexy to hear people say thou and Shakespeare stuff, whatever. I also have a pension for guys who talk Italian. Um, my husband doesn't. So maybe I'm kind of hoping he doesn't watch this one. Um, but when I went to Italy with my daughter, I was like, whew, not going on. Anywho, I digress and tell you, if you don't know the names, it's fine. If you don't know the places, it's fine. Focus on the relationship. And then we're going to talk about it. So let me read it through really quickly from the message. Okay. We're in Daniel chapter six. We're also in the lion's den. Hey, you guys, I, I graduated in 1991. I grew up in the eighties. Guess what the place is, uh, was called downtown main street, where we all bought our letterman's jackets, the lion's den. Okay. Just thought of that popped into my head, but, um, yeah, there were lions everywhere. That was the alma mater mascot. Daniel chapter six, Darius, I don't know who the dude was. We'll get there. Darius reorganized his kingdom. He appointed 120 governors to administer all the parts of his realm. Okay. Some dude in charge had 120 people working for him. Over them were three vice regents. Okay. Vice presidents, one of whom was Daniel. Okay. We're talking about this guy, Daniel. He was appointed over Darius's kingdom as a vice regent. Okay. The governors reported to the vice regents, actually the vice regents are above their regions. And they made sure that everything was in order for the king. King had some people, but Daniel brimming with spirit and intelligence. So completely outclassed the other vice regents and governors that the king decided to put him in charge of the whole kingdom. Okay, I'm going to pause there for one second. The king decided to put him in charge of the whole kingdom. So Daniel was one of, uh, I forget already, like three, okay, vice regents. They had three. So the other two were probably ticked off, right? Do you have a job? Same level, other people. Somebody puts you all three of you in charge, but somebody grossly outclasses and uh, outsmarts the other two. A little bit of infighting, okay? The vice regents and governors got together to find some old scandal or skeleton in Daniel's life. Okay, they were jealous of Daniel and his smarts and his class. So they had a little like uh, powwow. They're going to go, we're going to bring this guy down. The vice regents and governors got together to find some old scandal or skeleton in Daniel's life that they could use against him. Okay, on the precipice, precipice, uh, precipice 
of a presidential election. That's why I got confused with the word. This is straight up politics, even way back then. You guys, scripture then equals life today. It's just they use different words and they have different environments, but man, it is the same relational stuff. Okay, same stuff. Nothing new under the sun. Some dude named Solomon said that. We'll get to Solomon if you don't know him. But like, this is not rocket science. They were jealous of a guy who was smarter and classier than they were, and they tried to dig stuff up so they could get him out. Okay, every single day around these parts. But they couldn't dig anything up. Like, he was clean, right? He was totally exemplary and trustworthy. They could find no evidence of negligence or misconduct. So they finally gave up and said, we're never going to find anything against this Daniel guy unless we can cook up something religious. (laughs) This is maybe why I'm starting here too, okay? Sort of fortuitous. The vice regents and governors conspired together and then went to the king. Then they said, hey, Darius, King Darius, live forever. Okay, kissing butt. We have convened your vice regents, your governors, and all your leading officials and have agreed that the king should issue the following decree. These guys roll into the king's office, headquarters, palace, whatever. Again, doesn't matter where, matters the relationship. They roll in, they kiss his butt, and they go, hey, here's kind of what you should do, guy in charge. Here's what you should say to all the people in the kingdom. For the next 30 days, no one is to pray to any god or immortal except you, you, only you. They should worship you. O king, anyone who disobeys will be thrown into the lion's den. Like that's their punishment. Okay. Issue this decree, O king, and make it unconditional as if written in stone, like all the laws of the Medes and the Persians. So they're comparing themselves to other nations already. Like do this like those people in those countries do, man, because they got it going on. They're, they're better off. So we, we need to do like they do. Okay. So King Darius, of course, signed the decree. Peer pressure. When Daniel learned that the decree had been signed and posted. He continued to pray just as he has always, has always done. He continued to pray just as he had always done to his same God. His house had windows in the upstairs that opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day, he knelt there in prayer, thanking and praising his God, Daniel. The conspirators came and found him praying. Oh, scandal, right? And they asked God for help. They, they said, uh, okay, we're maybe gonna need some help here. And the conspirators came and they found Daniel praying, but Daniel was the one asking God for help. They went straight to the king and they're like, hey, Daniel's asking God for help and he's praying. And those guys reminded the king of the royal decree that he had signed. Did you not, they say to the king, sign a decree forbidding anyone to pray to any God or man except for you for the next 30 days? And anyone caught doing it would be thrown into the lion's den? Absolutely, said the king. Written in stone, like all the laws of the Medes and the Persians, just like you told me to do. Almost done. Then they said, Daniel, oh, not talking Daniel, sorry. Getting all riled up here. Then they said to the king, Daniel, one of the Jewish exiles, ignores you, O king, and defies your decree. Three times a day, he's praying. At this, the king was very upset and tried his best to get Daniel out of the fix he had put him in. So here's the thing. The king knew that these guys, the regents, vice regents, and the co-conspirators were basically setting Daniel up to fail. The king knew it and kind of felt bad that he got busted. Okay. So the king was very upset that they pointed this out. They tattled on Daniel. So he said he tried to get Daniel out of this mess so he didn't have to basically rule against him. 
But then the conspirators were back. Remember, O king, it's the law of the Medes and Persians that the king's decree can never be changed. The king caved, caved in, peer pressure. How many times have you caved in, right? I get, I get all riled up about this. How many times have you caved into a wrong version of yourself, peer pressure, your neighbors, your, your, your spouse, your partner, your kids, whatever, peer pressure, okay? Too hard, so I'm just going to do the easy thing. The king caved in and ordered Daniel brought and thrown into the lion's den. But he said this to Daniel on his way into the pits of hell, i.e. in the lion's den. The king said, your God, to whom you are so loyal, is going to get you out of this. The king, throwing Daniel into the lion's den, said, your God, to whom you are so loyal, is going to get you out of this. A stone slab was placed over the opening of the den. The king sealed the cover with his signet ring and the signet rings of all his nobles, fixing Daniel's fate. Okay, so now he's in the lion's den with actual lions. Let's go with it. The king then went back to his palace. He refused supper. He couldn't sleep. He spent the night fasting. How many times have you guys had your stomach in knots when you did something you knew you shouldn't do, right? Especially at the expense of somebody else. At daybreak, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. As he approached the den, he called out anxiously, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve so loyally, saved you from the lions? Okay, he's like, maybe asking rhetorically, like, dude, are you alive? Did the lions eat you? Daniel, oh, king, live forever. Like, I'm here. I'm good. My God sent his angel who closed the mouths of the lions that they would not hurt me. I have been found innocent before God and also before you, oh, king. I've done nothing to harm you. Like, why am, I, why am I still in trouble here? Like, can we just get on with this, right? When the king heard these words, he was happy. He ordered Daniel taken up out of the den. When he was hauled up, there wasn't a scratch on him. He had trusted his God. Then the king commanded that the conspirators who had informed on Daniel, tattled, that they be thrown into the lion's den. Karma, right? Along with their wives and children. Before they hit the floor, the lions had already had already had them in their jaws, tearing them to pieces. Okay, so also too in the Bible, there's like some gore and graphic images and stuff that is like blatantly wrong and offensive and oppressive. So we'll get there too. Keep reading. King Darius published this proclamation to every race, color, and creed on earth. Peace to you, abundant peace. I decree that Daniel's God, Daniel's God, shall be worshipped and feared in all parts of my kingdom. He is the living God, world without end. His kingdom never fails. His rule continues eternally. He is a savior and a rescuer. He performs astonishing miracles in heaven and on earth. He saved Daniel from the power of the lions. Okay, nobody knows if Daniel was actually in a lion's den. Nobody knows if the co-conspirators and their wives and kids got eaten alive. Um, But here's what we do know. We know that a guy named Daniel trusted in God, disobeyed rules, which is probably why I started there too. I'm kind of a big fan of people that go, yeah, rules, not so much. I'm going to do what I'm going to do because I know what is right. And I know who I am and I know what I stand for. And people can come at me all day long, but if I have unwavering, unshakable authenticity in who I am and unwavering, unshakable faith in how I got here, the God who made me, whatever he, she, it looks like, But if I trust that that being made me because that being loves me, end of story, like that's it, made me to be with me always. 
if I'm in a lion's den, if I'm uh, in divorce court, if I'm in trouble, if I'm in the backseat of a Trans Am circa 1987 on prom night, as an example. I mean, here's the thing. God loves us no matter where we are in or on our journeys. Okay. Doesn't matter what you've done. Doesn't matter what you might do going forward. It just matters that you start to think about things differently, starting with yourself. Okay. So you don't want to read the Bible. I'm okay with that. You don't want to read the message. I'm okay with that. You want to read King James. I'm okay with that. You want to call God by a different name. He's okay with that. Okay. Just keep showing up. And I will keep showing up. We were going to continue on. We collectively will continue on with the Remorselessly Biblical video series um, in conjunction with the Remorseless podcast. Um, I'm almost finished writing the workbook, which is an actionable thing, like telling you, hey, these are some ideas. Um, But I love, love, love teaching scripture, mostly because I love, love, love rooting for the underdog, which pretty much is us every day. So keep on going. Keep on showing up. And especially, you guys, keep on living remorselessly. The word remorseless means without guilt, in spite of wrongdoing, okay? In spite of wrongdoing. Find me one person on the planet that hasn't done wrong. Doesn't exist. So we're in it together. We will show up together. We will keep going on remorselessly together. Okay, I'll talk to you soon. Peace.